political involvement, education, media, coordination, social work, and our manner. These are the six points I will be addressing as solutions or the way to protect our da'wah. Whose word is better than the one who calls to Allah and does righteous deeds and says, I'm one of the believers. Allah specifically teaches us how to do da'wah. Allah did not leave us without instructions, having declared da'wah a collective obligation of the Muslims and an individual obligation for Muslims living with non-Muslims. They start to think of the world because the vision that came to them was a great vision. Oh Muhammad, we have sent you not except as a mercy for the world. And the Prophet is telling his companions, those of you who are present listening to me, take this message to those who are absent. They left everything and they went out. They had a vision they had to fulfill, which was a global vision. It wasn't a local vision. No, no word at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Our Kamaqal respected brothers and sisters in Islam. I am honored to be here today and it was a busy week, Alhamdulillah. And at times I was asked as to where I was and I said, I don't know. <laughs> because I, I was going around so much, so many flights I've never taken in my life. And Alhamdulillah, it was an honor to be here, to be able to serve and uh, be of use, inshallah, potentially. Today my topic is a very important topic, not because I am here to deliver it, uh, it's just the nature of the topic. The topic is critical uh, solutions or critical thinking as to how we can strengthen our da'wah and protect it. I have a few points I want to address very quickly. Uh, I want to cut to the chase and the points I want to address in this regard are uh, political involvement, education, media, coordination, social work, and our manner, the way we treat people or deal with them. These are the six points I will be addressing um, as solutions or the way to protect our da'wah. Firstly, what is da'wah? Da'wah is basically, uh, technically speaking in Islam, is to call people to Allah, call people to Islam. Allah tells us in the Quran, "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaitan ar-rajim." Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. "Udhu ila sabili Rabbik bil hikma wal mauzat al-hasana wajadil hum billati hiya ahsan." Also, Allah says, "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaitan ar-rajim." "Waman ahsanu qawlan mimman da'a ila Allahi wa amila salihan wa qala innani min al-Muslimin." So, whose word is better than the one who calls to Allah and says and does righteous deeds and says, "I'm one of the believers." The first verse tells us, call to the way of your Lord with wisdom and beautiful preaching. And if you have to argue, then argue correctly. Argue with the best of manners. So Allah specifically teaches us how to do da'wah in the Quran. Allah did not leave us without instructions, having declared da'wah to be an obligation, a collective obligation of the Muslims and an individual obligation for Muslims living with non-Muslims. 
in which case Muslims living in Canada, in Britain, in the USA, in Australia, wherever you are, or uh, if you live with non-Muslims, then it is an individual obligation, especially when you are a minority, you have to indulge in dawah. Dawah becomes an individual obligation for every single Muslim living in non-Muslim territories. And I am not in any doubt about that. This is a very, very clear obligation in Islam. So, what is hikmah when Allah says, ila sabili rabbik bil hikmah. Okay, hikmah is in simple terms wisdom. And what does wisdom mean in Islam? Wisdom in Islam is basically al-qawlul munasib fil waqtil munasib fil makanil munasib. The right word said to the right people at the right time in the right place. Okay, this is wisdom. And imagine if you go to a wedding and you see the bride and the groom and uh, it is a happy occasion and you go to the bride and the groom and you say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Would that make sense? Even though you are making a statement from the Quran, the meaning is not bad that we come from Allah and we return to Allah. But that statement for the occasion was not correct because we usually say that when something happens to you, something bad happens to you, you say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. So this is a happy occasion. You don't say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. This is against wisdom. The right word said at the wrong place. Would you agree? Now imagine if you go to a janazah, you see um, the, the jasad or the body, the, the dead body of uh, the deceased and you say, Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. Okay, people will say, this is, hold on a second, is this guy okay in the head? He's not. So the point is, wisdom is doing the right thing at the right place, at the right time, with the right people. And Looking at that in that light, these are the six points I want to address to make our dawah successful and to protect it. Especially when we live in the West and Islamophobia is a reality. It is no longer uh, a controversial uh, notion. Rather, it has been well acknowledged globally, academically, that Islamophobia is a reality. It does exist. People have written books on it and it is basically affecting our lives. It is affecting our lives on a daily basis. And one of the reasons is lack of indulgence in dawah when it comes to the Muslim masses living in the West in particular. So lack of indulgence. We simply do not indulge in dawah. We came with uh, visions, personal visions to these countries to work to drive taxis, to build restaurants and build businesses, in some cases build skyscrapers, hotels. And then eventually the mindset we have is we're going to go back. We're going to go back. And that going back never comes. It never happens. And I have seen with my own eyes members of my family who came to Britain to live there, to return. They died in Britain and they got buried in Britain. And now we have the fourth generation. So what is our vision for our future is the question. Where do we want to be in the next 50 years? We're not going anywhere. Canada is home. Britain is home, right? And if that's the case, 
then what is our vision for the next 50 years? How can we even proceed? Or how can we even go forward with our lives in a country like this without a vision? And I don't mean a personal vision because personal visions vary from place to place, from person to person, from time to time. One person, for example, may have a vision that he wants to become a scientist. Okay, he may well become a scientist. Another person wants to have five restaurants. He wants to own five restaurants and buy a mansion with a swimming pool in it and have a Ferrari parked outside. Okay, that's a vision, a personal vision. You may acknowledge one person wants to travel abroad, study and come back and do the work of Islam. That's a personal vision. What about the collective vision of the Muslims living in Canada in particular and other parts of the West? or Western nations. What is the collective vision is the question. And I have been talking about it lately that if you go to a poultry farm, you see chickens running everywhere. You walk into the poultry farm, you see chickens running into unknown directions. They don't know where, why they're running into that direction. Right. And sometimes they, they, they change the direction uh, suddenly. And this is how, unfortunately, we are behaving as a community. We are running into our individual directions without having a collective vision, a collective direction. And this is why I want to help you today to have a vision for the next 50 years. You don't have to follow it. You don't have to follow it one uh, word by word, letter by letter. But it is a roadmap. It is like a blueprint. You can change it. You can add to it. You can take out from it and get your leaders to work on it. So once you have a collective vision for the community, you will prosper. Your da'wah will prosper. Your da'wah will succeed. As I've already clarified that it is, it is not an option for you to not do da'wah. Da'wah has to be done in your personal capacities and in your collective capacities. You have to indulge in da'wah every single one of you. How you do it, you choose. But you have to do it. But how do we protect our dawah? Once we know that we have to do dawah and it is an obligation, how do we protect our dawah? As follows. Politics. You indulge in politics. And don't even come back to me telling me that, oh, there are so many challenges. There are so many problems. This is haram. That's haram. This is haram. I know all the harams and halals. Okay, because al-halal ubayyan wal-haram ubayyan, we know that the hadith of the Prophet I'm not talking about haram options. You indulge in politics in halal ways. Find your ways, find your options. Haram is not an option for the Muslims. So I'm talking about thinking pragmatically, uh, optimistically. Rather than being a pessimist and before we begin a project, we start talking about the challenges and problems that will come our way and then we end up doing nothing because of the mindset. The mindset has to be solution driven, not problems driven. Okay, if you start thinking about problems and problems and problems, then all you will have are problems. But if you start thinking positively about the future, pragmatically. If you are an optimist, like the Messenger of Allah was, what did the Prophet tell us? What did the Prophet tell us? He was a pragmatist. He was an optimist, right? He encouraged people. He never put people down. Okay, when people came to him with a noble uh, endeavor, with, with a noble thought, with a noble prospect, he never put them down. He never put them down. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said, Bashiru wala tunafiru. Okay? Bashiru wala tunafiru. Give glad tidings to people. 
don't put them off and yassiru wala tu asiru make things easy for people don't make them difficult so what is making things difficult when we start talking about a prospect a project we start thinking about the negatives okay what's going to happen if we do this what's going no you think pragmatically you think optimistically you think of the goals you want to achieve and how you achieve those goals will come to you once you remain focused and you are dedicated and you're sincere it will happen so indulge in politics politics is absolutely crucial for your survival in any society you ignore politics laws will be made against you your dawa will be cut down you will be restricted you will have problems you will be misunderstood you will be brutalized possibly like what's happening in india today look at the situation in india the muslims in india are uh, very very marginalized the reason is they ignored politics for the last 70 years even though there are some political leaders there now defending the muslim cause or the muslim case but we don't have enough and the outcome is you can see the controversies every single day something new coming out from india and that can happen everywhere else in the world if we do not indulge in politics and speak to politicians and take our position take our role i mean play a positive role to make this country a better country to contribute positively okay uh, so that you can become indispensable that's the word indispensable you have to be as a community indispensable you cannot be someone you know who can who who is not needed who's not necessary you're just a liability we can't be like that we as muslims cannot be liabilities we have to be indispensable in every single field so politics is absolutely crucial so i'm going to come to the vision how do we define a vision and how do we follow it is the point i will address having gone through these points so so you indulge in local politics in national politics and not only that global politics think big have a have a great outlook on life don't think local don't spend your time thinking of your carpet in the masjid and the tap is not working and uh, politics inside the masjid and uh, beyond don't think like that think big Look at the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam what he did to his people. These Arabs, the desert Arabs, no one wanted to know them. No one was interested in them. Okay, the Persians didn't want to be part of the desert. The Romans didn't care. It was a barren land with people with certain traditions and they were confined within their spaces and they lived on camels and goats and in some cases agriculture. they were known as a semi barbarized or semi civilized people depending on how you know you look at things right and then comes a prophet to them with a book with a message and the message does something to them something happens to them it conditions their minds in a way that now they have a global outlook on life these shepherds these very ill equipped people these very basic or simple people they start to think of the world because the vision that came to them was a great vision wa ma arsalnaka illa rahmatan lil alamin we have been sent oh muhammad we have sent you not except as a mercy for the world and the prophet is telling his companions that now those of you who are present listening to me take this message to those who are absent and they went they went these very people from arabia 
who loved their families they had children they had wives they had parents they left everything and they went out because they had a global outlook on life they had a vision they had to fulfill the vision was the vision of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam which was a global vision it wasn't a local vision it wasn't your street your city your town your living room your house or or something like that it was the globe the world we have been sent for the world so we have to go and something about uh, do uh, go and do something about the world so look at these people they went to places like azerbaijan they went to places like north africa some of the companions of the prophet sallallahu are buried on the borders of pakistan in afghan territory others are buried tabi'in or tabi'in the students of the sahaba and their students are buried in france some of them in french territory what were these people doing there especially when there were no jets to fly around there were no planes there was no one coming with the trolley to them do you want coffee do you want a drink in the plane like we have been facing for the last week right there was nothing like that these people went on foot on horses on camelback because of the global vision they had all the obstacles in their ways they could talk about challenges you know when the prophet told them go and take this message to those who are absent because ya rasulullah how are we going to get out of arabia there are stones there are rocks there is sand there are storms there is no water we don't have clothes we don't have rides we don't have shoes to wear ya rasulullah and this is how these people were by the way there's a hadith in bukhari a sahabi came to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said ya rasulullah is my prayer acceptable in one piece of cloth and the prophet was surprised the, 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 at the question he said awalikum thawban do all of you have two pieces of cloth most of you have only one piece of cloth this is the companions of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam so their vision their outlook on life their pragmatism okay and their optimism took them to heights and lengths no one ever reached before in human history how can we claim to be their followers while allah has put us in situations where we just have to open our mouths and we don't do that the prophet was stoned in the city of taif and he was stoned so that he can bring this message to those who don't have it and while we live here with comfort and ease we don't open our mouths so politics is absolutely crucial you have to indulge and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he commanded his companions representation is very important imagine imagine rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was questioned about things did he remain silent or did he represent his community and his people and his way so when abu sufyan having uh, killed many sahaba in the battle of uhud he said today is the day of hubal the prophet said respond to him tell him we have allah and allah is our maulana allah is our protector you have no protector you have no protector and he said a man for a man today we have avenged then the prophet said respond and they said our dead are in paradise and your dead are in jahannam in the land of habasha the first migration of islam takes place the qureshis send their envoy to bring these fugitives back so that they can be tortured and the case comes in front of the king so the muslims had two options remain silent suffer silently passively and go with the flow like we are collectively unfortunately or stand up for your rights and speak for yourself 
and tell people who you are and what you stand for. So Jafar, the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, stand politically. This was a political domain, the court of the king. The court of the king is a political domain. So the case is being heard in this political domain and Jafar stands in this political domain and starts to defend his community and his people. Oh king, we are a people who were worshipping idols, eating dead meat, killing each other over petty things. And then came this noble man from a noble family with the true message. He told us to pray, to give charity. And we became his followers. And because we started to pray and do charity and stop worshipping idols, these people have become our enemies. Are we doing anything wrong, O king? And then they played a game. They said, no, look, O king, you're a Christian and these guys have some erroneous ideas about your religion. So another attack came. So did Jafar remain silent? No. He said, no, king, we don't believe in anything wrong. This is our belief. And he reads verses from Surah Maryam and the king cries, Allahu Akbar. Just because Jafar stood up for his community and his faith and defended his position politically in a political domain, Muslims survived. Muslims survived. So political activism, speaking when you need to speak, defending your community and your work and your ideology and your civilization is absolutely crucial and you cannot do that in political domains unless you're present to do it and you have to be there and i'm talking about the halal ways point two education if you are not educated you cannot defend yourself you will never be taken seriously so you need to acquire education i'm talking about modern education i'm not only talking about religious education which is an absolute must no doubt we must understand our theology our law, our way, our book, the Quran, and the prophetic tradition, the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Before we indulge in anything else, we need to understand and recognize who we are. What do we stand for? Right? Once we know who we are, then we educate ourselves in other necessary fields to protect ourselves. Right? To shield, to guard ourselves. So Rasulullah ﷺ, he valued education so much that from the prisoners of Badr, he said, those of you who teach Muslims how to read and write, you will go free. We don't want your money. Teach them how to read and write and you will go free. And they did that. The first commandment in Islam, in the Quran, the first revelation from Allah was what? Read. Read. And this was foretold centuries before the Prophet ﷺ was born. That there will come a Prophet when the book is given to him. And it is said to him, read and he will say, I am not learned. And this can be found in the book of Isaiah chapter 29 verse 12. In the Old Testament, these are the words there. When the book is given to the one who is not learned and it is said to him, read and he will say, I am not learned. And when Jibreel said to the Prophet ﷺ, read and the Prophet said, I am not learned. And the first five verses of the Quran were given that are directly about reading seeking knowledge and the Muslim civilization became the most educated civilization in human history with the largest libraries, with the best scholars, with the most eloquent people and the poets and the thinkers and the philosophers and scientists, you name it, the list goes on and on. From Spain to China, Muslims created a civilization of an unprecedented scale because of read. We were the most bookly people in the world, the biggest book producers, book writers, book collectors and book distributors for 1000 years and we have now unfortunately 
become the most bookless people in the world and this is why we are the way we are, globally speaking. So education is a must. Not only your religious education, which is a basic for any Muslim, right? But education in other fields, you need to have philosophers, thinkers, you need to have uh, people who have degrees and PhDs in science, you need to have professors at universities teaching your own history, your own philosophy, your own civilization. You have left it, left it to others and that's why we have no representation on that scale. So education has been neglected by us. And education for a purpose, not to feed your stomach. So I want to highlight this very quickly, my time's running out. Education not to feed your stomachs. Don't think from your stomachs. Think from your minds, the purpose of education is not to fill your stomach. So today when we go to seek degrees at universities, what are we thinking of? I'm going to get a job, I'm going to get a house, I'm going to get married and I'm going to die. That's the vision. That's the vision we have. No, that's the wrong vision. Education's purpose is not to fill your stomach. It is rather to fill your mind so that you can make a wor this world a better place. So education is a solution for us collectively. So we need to have a vision for education also. Next, media. Media. We as a community have criminally neglected the use of media and its power. And this is the front. We are being beaten badly. Islamophobia is a result of media. People misunderstand us because of media. People don't like us because of media, because they are being told on the media that these people cannot be trusted. And I don't have to prove that point to you. Turn on the news channels, watch the news, okay? And you will see for the last 20 years, and there are brothers who have done research on that very topic. Uh, our, uh, uh, our beloved brother Abu Ayyub, uh, he has done amazing research on that topic, having studied news reports since 9-11 and all, all that. And look at the way Muslims are being painted. And why is it important? Did the Prophet neglect it? Did the Prophet ignore it? What was the media at the time of the Prophet ﷺ? Who is going to tell me? Who is going to help me? What was the media? Shu'ara, the poets. The poets were the most powerful tool tribes, kings, rulers, amirs, sheikhs used to present their case to the public, right? And poets, when they were born in a tribe, they would celebrate a feast. They would bring other poets because poets glorified their tribes, their leaders, their warriors, even horses are being praised. The beauty of their women, everything. You read Arabic poetry, it is absolutely amazing, right? And it was very powerful. It was used as a source of inspiration, a source of information. So the Prophet ﷺ, did he ignore this form of information or reaching out to people? When the Prophet ﷺ was criticized by disbelievers in their poetry because they knew the power of poetry. So there are two examples. Abu Sufyan bin Harith, one of the relations of the Prophet ﷺ, he was one of the relatives of the Prophet ﷺ. He uttered poetry against the Prophet ﷺ, trying to degrade his character, trying to paint him uh, with negativity. And then Ka'ab bin Ashraf, there was another man in Medina who was writing poetry or uttering poetry against the Prophet ﷺ to tarnish him. What did the Prophet do? Okay, let them do it. We don't have to do anything. We don't have the power to do anything. We're not going to indulge. We're not going to... No, the Prophet put his poet on the member. The Prophet ﷺ, he responded to the threat with a similar response, with a similar tool, with a similar powerful message. 
and he put his point on the member Hassan bin uh, Thabit and he said Ya Allah help him through Jibra'il inspire him and then he came up with this powerful poetry these powerful words wa ahsana minka lam taraqattu ayni wa ajmala minka lam talidinni sa'u khuliqta mubarra'an min kulli aybin ka annaka qad khuliqta kama tasha'u that the prophet is the most beautiful person to walk the planet my eyes have not seen a more beautiful uh, person than this a woman has not given birth to a more beautiful person like this and he's so amazing that, that as if he was telling allah how to create him allahu akbar so he praised the prophet ﷺ. he defended the prophet in response to all those people who were attacking him using the most powerful media tool at the time poetry so we the Muslims, how can we be the followers uh, of that prophet and ignore media, ignore media and uh, the power of media? So we need to have journalists, we need to have people who speak on the media, we need to invest in that. We need to have 50, 100, 200 journalists. You can count Muslim journalists on your fingers and, and especially in the mainstream media. We don't have media hubs, we don't have companies that produce content, news content and things like that. We need to start investing in that, otherwise we are doomed. When you will allow your enemies to speak about you and for you, you will be tarnished and misrepresented. Coordination. And these are again to remind you, these are solutions to strengthen your da'wah. Think critically and have solutions for your da'wah. So politics, education, media, coordination. You have to coordinate with each other. If you do not coordinate, you are doomed again. You have to work with each other like these brothers, mashallah, throughout this week have been working with other brothers in other cities. So this coordination is absolutely beautiful. It's a breeze of fresh air, Allahu Akbar. This is so beautiful to see. You have to coordinate. If you don't coordinate, if there's no ittihad, al uh, Muslimin, if the Muslims are not working together for the common good of uh, not only humanity but the countries you live in to make these countries a better place, you have to really indulge in coordination. Social work, social work is absolutely important. You cannot ignore social work. You need 30, 20 uh, organizations, humanitarian organizations who are working on people in Canada, not only sending money to Palestine and Gaza and, and other needy places for the Muslims, we need to work at home here. We need to help the people of Canada. I'm pretty sure there are poor people, there are indigenous people who need your help. There are people from the Canadian uh, background or the, the white Canadian background, let's say, you know, they need help. And I've been saying this in Britain that all of you British Muslims collect a hundred million pounds every Ramadan and you send it abroad to help your brothers and sisters. Noble, beautiful, amazing. But what about where you live? Right next to you, there is an elderly person who needs help. You go to these council states. I don't know what you call them in Canada. We call them council states, right? These residential areas where poor people live who cannot afford uh, basic things in life. Who's going to help them? Who's going to remove snow from the... So social work is absolutely needed. It is absolutely crucial for our uh, well-being, for us to be seen in positive light. No one will point fingers. When, when, you, when this Abdullah, Qasim and Muhammad goes with bags, full of food to a poor household and when you give food to these people, those kids who will be looking at your behavior and your character, giving food to the family, they will never grow up to be Islamophobes. Do you agree? They will never grow up to be Islamophobes. They will look at you as a solution, not as a problem. Finally, my time is up. Manners. 
Fix your manners. Dawa is done through your behavior as well. So don't behave in ways because you have the biggest telescopes in the world upon you, right? You are judged from, by, by a different standard. You have to behave differently. And by Alhamdulillah, we say Alhamdulillah for that because people expect better from us, the Muslims, right? So we have to behave in that way. So our manners are very important. So last few sentences, very quickly, I'm, I know I've been saying that. <laughs> so last few sentences, you don't have a vision, you have no future. You don't have a vision, you have no future. So what do I mean by uh, vision? For the next 50 years, I want the Canadian Muslims to get together, join your heads, and start thinking, where do you want to be in the next 50 years? Okay, how many scholars you need? Let me give you a number, a realistic number. We need 50 scholars. In the next 50 years, it is realistic, it is doable. We need 20 social work organizations. We need 100 journalists in the next 50 years. We need 30 barristers. Take the numbers down, no one's writing. Take the numbers down. This is a vision for the next 50 years. We need. 30 barristers to defend our cause, to speak for us. We need at least three prime ministers in the next 50 years, prime ministers of Canada. Now, you may be thinking, oh, this guy's lost his mind. He's lost the plot. He's thinking too big. Absolutely. I'm thinking big. And I know this can be done. If Jagmeet Singh can be there, so can you. So can you. You can also be there. You can do it. So we need at least three prime ministers of Canada in the next 50 years. Okay, and the constitution allows it. The constitution allows it. We need at least 30 MPs or members of parliament in the next 50 years. And this is a very realistic and a very minor kind of uh, vision for you to have. We need at least 500 doctors working as social workers. We need 1,000 human rights activists in Canada. Produce. You, you can produce them. You, if you start working on this vision, if you disseminate this vision throughout Canada, you will see people will take it up and they say, okay, I volunteer to be that social worker. I volunteer to be that doctor. I volunteer to go into politics. I volunteer to become a barrister. I volunteer to do this. And you, before you know, you will have the numbers and your vision will be in process. It will happen. And if you don't have a vision, if you don't think like this, if you don't have solutions, uh, and if you keep crying about problems, 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 newspapers, media, Islamophobia, you're going to keep crying for the next 50 years, as we have been for the last 50 years. So on that note, thank you so much for listening to me. And I hope I have uh, stimulated your minds into a direction, thinking in, into a direction that you may not have thought before. But this is the solution, in my opinion. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.